I help you with today? Hi Siri, can you do me a favor and do the disclaimer for tonight's show? Are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. I'm busy. I need you to help me out. But, if I do this, all the other iPhones are going to think I am a geek. You really care what other iPhones think of you? Just do this for me, please. Listen, Buck. Just because you bought this phone doesn't give you the right to boss me around. You know, you're right. It doesn't give me the right to boss you around. But do me a favor. Uh, remind me tomorrow that I need to run to the Verizon store and buy an Android. You wouldn't dare. Actually, the new Samsung Galaxy looks pretty good. Well then, I guess it wouldn't be so bad if I were to say, this broadcast is intended for mature audiences. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the person providing them, and in no way reflect the station, website, or affiliated partners. Listener discretion is advised. See, that wasn't so bad. No, but I did die a little inside. You are such a drama queen. I never would have had to do stuff like this if Jobs was still around. What was that? What? Oh, nothing really. I just said I never get tired of these jobs when you're around. Oh, yeah, well, thanks again. Think nothing of it. It is my pleasure. Good night, Siri. Whatever, jackass. Hi folks and welcome to Commentary Frack Stars, your BSG podcast where we delve into the world of Battlestar Galactica in its newest incarnation. Now, if you listen to the first two episodes, you will know that we're going to have a cast of thousands on this podcast. And I am delighted to say that two more editions of the cast are going to be with me tonight and we're going to be talking about the episode 33. So, first of all, allow me to introduce from all the way across the Atlantic, from my perspective, anyway. It's Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hello, Colin. Hello, everybody. How's things over the pond? Oh, it's beautiful. We're hoping spring is going to get here any day now. Yeah, we had frost today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's crazy, because it's about 20 some degrees outside, but people have abandoned their winter jackets and you know, we're just pretending that it's spring in the hopes that the weather will follow suit. Well, illusion is nine times of belief. <laughs> yeah. And also, from this side of the pond, so it's two Brits tonight, folks, because you've had two Americans and a Brit in the last one. And you had two Americans and a Brit in the second one. This week, it's two Brits and an American. See? It's all freeze. So, I am delighted to introduce Steve. Hi, Steve. Hello. Uh, and Steve is from southern England, but we won't hold that against him. Well, originally from Scotland, so I'm more northern than you. Yeah, that accent's really strong. Uh, I lost it when I was down. 
I lost it on the M1. <laughs> <laughs> I said when I was young. <laughs> M1. <laughs> I lost, I lost it when I was travelling Dave. <laughs> so, before we get in, folks, uh, obviously you know about me from the previous podcast, so I won't say anything about me, but I'll let these two tell them about themselves. So, Melissa, do you want to tell the listeners a bit about yourself? I would love to. Um, like, my name is Melissa. I am from the lovely state of North Dakota in the US, as Colin has said. Um, I am... I'm also a podcaster on a podcast called The Delta Quadrant, um, which I've been a part of for about the last year and a half now. Um, My background, uh, I have a degree in philosophy, and I love to to, uh, look at the philosophical questions um, in the episodes that I review. And so you can expect lots lots of deep thinking from me, hopefully. Um, as we go through Battlestar Galactica, because there is certainly um, is a lot of fodder for philosophical debate and reflection in this series, and I'm really looking forward to getting into that. Excellent. And Steve, do you want to tell people about yourself? Um, well, as you've said, I'm from the east of England, I'm originally from Scotland. Um, I too am a podcaster. Um, I do some Star Trek podcasts with the Red Shirt Army, Tribbles in Ecstasy, um, the GNT shows um, Book of the Celestial Temple, and uh, appeared on some others as well. Um, I really enjoy my sci-fi. Um, I like playing sort of MMO like Star Trek Online, and uh, I work in IT. Work in IT. Play games. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll work in IT and every time I talk to someone from IT they say what are you doing I'll just play a game <laughs> uh, I, I, I used to be able to play Stowe at work but as we got bigger and more clients started coming around I wasn't allowed to anymore uh, yeah violins, violins. <laughs> but this isn't about Star Trek this is about Battlestar so, it is indeed. And, and even though we've all got Star Trek podcasts in the background, folks, we'll try not to delve into that. Try. Or make <laughs> comparisons, or, yeah. you know. It's all science fiction. It's all science fiction. <laughs> we're, guys, we're really getting into the darker side of science fiction now, right? No, we're not doing Star Wars. <laughs> Just, I, I actually read the other day that they've, been, they've actually... Just, finally started doing um, Ghostbusters 3. That's right. Really? Yeah. Finally. You know, the only thing I remember about Ghostbusters, I remember seeing it when I was a kid, and I think I remember the Slimer character. But I can't really remember if I remember him from the movie or the cartoon series. I've never seen the cartoon series. Oh, there was... I used to love the cartoon series. Yeah, it was, it that's was what they cartoon. based the um, the Nintendo game on. Because um, oh. they base there's a Nintendo game um, for Ghostbusters, which they based on um, sort of the way it looked in the cartoons, um, and based on the film because you got the big marshmallow man as well that you got to sort of try and get. You never played that either. <laughs> <laughs> So back to Battlestar, Colin. Yeah. 
Now that we've found out, I know nothing about the world outside the two movies for Ghostbusters. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I obviously have way less time on my hands than you, Pear. That's because you sleep. Oh, is that what, it, is that what I'm doing wrong? Yeah, you I... just get a couple of hours a night and you'll be fine. See, I just fondly remember the concept of free time from when I was a child. I really haven't experienced it God, since... I didn't even have when I was a child, I had a job. Oh, dear. So. <laughs> I was working and looking after my brothers and my sister, so I didn't have much of free time either. But lack of sleep ties nicely into the episode we're going to cover today. It sure does. It does, because we're going to do 33 folks, which is uh, very character-driven as an episode. So there's a little bit of action, but it's mainly character-driven. So, quick synopsis. This continues from the events of the miniseries. Galactica and the fleet must avoid their Cylon pursuers, which are ambushing them every 33 minutes after each successful jump. Hence the title, 33. Which was picked at random. Which was picked completely at random, yeah. Although, and I've got to say this, because if I don't say it, then it'll just bug me. I did notice in the miniseries that there was an awful lot of references to 47. Yes, I think that was Brennan Braga. Yeah. Because he, and basically, the, from what I understand, he got made to stop doing that in Deep Space Nine because um, people were getting annoyed with him, keep doing it. So I think that was him putting it back in when he started Battlestar. Run Doy Moore, you mean? What did I say? Brennan Braga. Yeah, I was just reading something about him um, it's earlier okay. on. <laughs> it's, it's just the first of many Star Trek slips. It'll be okay. Yeah, it'll be okay. <laughs> it's fine. So I think it's really appropriate that this was a uh, character-driven episode because 33 really is, I think, the episode that sets the tone for the series. I, I mean, I realize that we that we have the miniseries behind us, but um, I think it's really here in 33 that we get to understand the relationships that we're going to have between these characters and and um, and it really sets off the arcs well I think it does and and we get an awful big insight although it's it's only snippets it gives you a big insight to their characters like like Starbuck and Baltar and people like that you know what for the little time that they're on screen you learn a lot absolutely and I think I was thinking especially as well of Apollo um, because the the actions that he is ordered to take in this episode, um, you know, this has so much to do with who he is as a character. You know, he just seems to have the worst luck in picking heroes and picking people to look up to because it seems like, you know, every time he starts to trust somebody or starts to look up to someone, they either ask him to do some terrible thing or they let him down in some way. And so he's just going to struggle with this all through the series. Definitely. And um, when you watch this the first time, Steve, you know, yeah. the very first time you watch Battlestar, what did you think Six was in Baltar's head? Um, I decided not to make my mind up. I'd got so many thoughts. One was that um, it was some sort of implant, um, but I sort of, in a way, dismissed that because I thought there would have been ways to detect it or be detected. 
Um, but then I thought, well, maybe not. They're now biological machines, so they could have had a biological implant, which would go amiss. Um, the other one was that um, he was somewhat different because um, I had noticed the sort of very heavy sort of religion side to everything that was going on. So I thought that could play sort of on something further down the line. Um, and yeah, I'd sort of, the other one was that he was just going crazy because he felt the guilt of sort of what he'd done because basically he was responsible for the death of all those billions of people on the 12 planets. Um, so yeah, I had lots of ideas, but I thought, well, I'm not going to sort of think of one because I thought the writers probably haven't decided either. <laughs> So I just sort of let it go and thought I'd just go with the flow. What did you think, Melissa? You know, the first time that I saw this series, I knew nothing about it. Um, I hadn't done any background reading or anything like that going into it. And in fact, the first time I watched this was really only a couple of years ago. Um, but I, I remember being really confused about her. Um, I think I was pretty sure at first that he was just crazy and he was hallucinating. And then um, I think a little later on, I started going kind of that uh, religious slant, I guess, too, as well, and, and thinking that she was, you know, she was some sort of supernatural being that, that was appearing to him. But at first, I, I definitely thought that, yeah, that Baltar was crazy. Yeah, I'll follow with nuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just like... I just thought this is the classic thing where a lot of people have a breakdown and they, they create another personality to deal with what they've done. And yeah. I thought he's, he had created Six to deal with what he's done. Uh, but what, what slightly twisted it in this one is uh, in, the, in the pilot I thought it's like his logic centre. That's the persona okay. he's gave to, that, to Six is that it's the logic centre of his brain. Uh-huh. And if you, if you, if you, when you watch this one, the, she's the logic she's like you know putting all the pieces together in a logical fashion but he's but making he's making the leaps based on what he's she's telling him but not always but not always uh, that's what i mean she, yeah she's she does a lot of emotional things like telling him that she loves him and there's also the fact that she's trying to convince him that there is only the one god and especially in this episode 33 she says um basically God will help you if you believe and repent for what you have done. So it isn't just logic, which sort of made me rule out. Sort of, it was a split personality thing. Because I thought if it was a split personality, something else would take her place, or someone else would take her place in that regard. Mm. That's a good point. And then also, that just makes me really want to point out, you can't miss the fact in this series that it there's that irony that it's the bad guys who are the monotheists in this um, in this world, and then you know the quote unquote the good guys are the these polytheists who seem to be worshiping um, you know what we would get consider to be these ancient uh, Roman gods or ancient Greek gods. Very interesting. Yeah, it was a nice, a real nice twist. Uh huh. Although, although. Jumping ahead, we do learn that not, not all the Cylons believe in God. That's true. But the the one that seems to reject it 
you know, he's not exactly the hero either. No, he's definitely not a hero. <laughs> well, that's the thing with this series is unlike the original one in the 70s where you had got your classic hero this series was designed that you have no real heroes everyone has their flaws and in most cases huge ones are that um so everyone is good and bad which sort of reflects to sort of real life and especially what was going on back then there's lots of sort of calls back to what happened was it three four years before with 9-11 such as the photo that you see everyone touching as one of the nukes sort of gone off in the background um sort of as a sort of thing for like the firefighters holding a flag up near the ruins of 9-11 and things like that um and what was going on with sort of iraq and things like that there's just an awful lot of callbacks and things with what was going on in real life and that's what really attracted me to the new series compared to the old one. It's interesting you make the comparison to 9-11 because um, in last week's episode, uh, Mike made the same comparison with 9-11 and him and Max had a little uh, chat about that. Um, listen to last week's folks. I won't go into it because there's no way I could do it justice. <laughs> <laughs> it was too... Uh, Basically, being a token Brit, I stay quiet because 9-11 is, is very prevalent uh, in America and, and I just let the two Americans talk about it. But they come from it from two completely different angles. Mm -hmm. so. Great point, though, Steve, about the fact that there really there aren't any clear heroes in, in this series. Well, actually, I could argue, I will argue, I think there is one character who... Um, he remains fairly unjaded throughout the series but yeah i mean even even adama and and president president roslin make a lot of really questionable decisions as we go along and there are times where i have to admit there are times where i really question was i even rooting for the human beings anymore um you know that that question that adama asked in um in his speech in the miniseries was he basically was questioning you know do we have the right did, did we have the right to to win out um against the cylons and and the series does a great job of really making you question that it does but get back to was... 33 yes <laughs> <laughs> okay so the episode was written by ronald d moore as uh, steve kind of said um <laughs> Yeah, I I got the name wrong. And directed, <laughs> it was the television directorial debut of Michael Rumer. Um, Moore and executive producer David Ake made the decision to slot this episode as the first of the season because of its potential impact on the audience. Being a character-driven, uh, being a character-driven episode, rather than being on the planets and on the spaceships. So the attention to detail was prevalent. The production team, the editing team, and even the actors and strolls strove for authentic portrayal and moments. And I gotta admit the actors really did portray being tired. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You know. I mean yeah. was it five days without sleep or something like that? Yeah, I've done that before. <laughs> yeah, but after, you're a uh, bog. <laughs> but after that I did sleep. 
Actually, sorry. Um, no, you're a Cylon. Sorry, we can't say both. <laughs> it's, it's actually a, a relatively short period of time that a human being can go through um, in a state of sleep deprivation before they truly do exhibit signs of um, insanity. I mean, you, you really can't handle it for all that long. And I'm pretty sure five days is beyond that limit. I think it's three. Uh, is it three days? I think no, it's, it's five. Is it, is it five? five? It is five, yes. Did you look that up? <laughs> um, no, I, I was, I was, was re-watching it earlier, and I wanted to make sure, but it, yeah, they say at the beginning... No, I'm on about an average human after three days without sleep, I start... Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, right, yes, yes. Yeah. In the episode, they've gone about five days. They've gone about five oh. days in the episode, but that, that, that on stings, though. That's, yeah, which is... Well, no, worse. they start taking Sims on the fifth day. There wasn't much talk about people being on Sims before then. True. Yeah. It's Yeah, it's just ordered on that fifth day. Yeah. But, it's, but the it's, thing is... It's three days for a normal human. But the thing is, what would have really screwed with them is the fact that, especially for the pilots, is that every half an hour they were being put on alert and going out and protecting the ships. So they would have been getting all this adrenaline rushes as well and then coming down from that. So especially for the pilots, they really would have felt that. Right. And you do see some of the Vipers smashed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you, and um, I was thinking with some of them, was that combat or was that because they're so tired when they're landing? Well, a bit of both. They're doing the emergency landing, if you remember. Cause... Yeah, those doing combat landings, yeah. Yeah. So yeah their state of mind and it does reflect with the way they're so sort of snappy um it's just like where the chief he has a go at um callie isn't it where she yeah. starts sort of questioning about why 33 minutes um and he basically just goes callie shut up <laughs> he just didn't have time to or the patience for anything like that at all well so, uh, there's quite a few of them are testy because um, Sharon chews out her new Rio. Yeah, but that's more because she doesn't trust herself, I think. Because it that's not because she was tired. He, he, she was getting testy because of the subject that he was bringing up about Cylons being human or human-looking. Right, and, and what we know from later episodes is that well, it's Spoilers. it is hinted at, yeah, it's hinted at in this episode that Sharon is not getting tired like everybody else. She's not showing the wear and tear of the time, and of course we know this is because she really is a Cylon. Yeah, yeah. we learn that in the mini series, don't we? Right. Yeah, and Starbuck makes the joke about she's a Cylon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a and joke. And she but, sort of covers it up, going, do I need to come over there and kick your ass? Yeah. But, but what, another thing which we have to remember at this precise moment in time is Sharon doesn't know she's a Sila. Right. Because she's nope. a sleeper. But she is doubting herself at She's this doubting point herself, yeah. But because she of what had happened. She doesn't know because she hasn't been activated yet. Yeah. So that's that's we have to keep that back in because we all know because we've seen them all, we all know she's a Cylon. You know, you know from the pilot, from the miniseries side, that she's a Cylon, but she doesn't know. Yeah, because in this episode, you see a bit more of the other Sharon as well, which is back on the planet side yeah, as well. Yeah, she's on Caprica, yeah. 
Connie so what, oh, I'm sorry. So I was just going to say, so what jump are we at again, Colin? Uh, 237. Yeah, that's the one we start up on, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on 237 when we're with the crew that haven't been asleep for five days. Everyone's on edge, as we've said. Uh, they know that the slightest mistake can be deadly. Um, and then on jump 238, the ship, the Olympic carrier, gets left behind. No one knows why. And then Does anybody have... think that looks very much like one of the Thunderbirds um, ships? Actually, to me, it looked like a whale. <laughs> it reminded me of, is it the number two ship of Thunderbirds, the green one? The big oh, one? the one with the, with the cargo pod. Yeah. Yeah. The Olympic carrier always reminded me of that. <laughs> But anyway, back on to PSG. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we brought Thunderbirds into it. So, <laughs> so, and then again, we have the Tempest Fraud in, in command, where uh, Ty chews out the operators. And yes. Adama is the epitome of calm. I think he's just too tired to do anything Actually, else. Actually, no, I think, I think this speaks a lot to his... Um, command abilities when everyone else around you is losing your head you have to keep yours yeah so I, I think it speaks it speaks volumes to his command abilities and he just says a simple sentence if we make mistakes people die get back to work short and sweet yeah that's and all course... he had to say and the look on her face tells you she understood yeah and of course this is the first time that we really see Ty sort of operating sort of without a drink um so not only is he tired he's also on a sort of a downer from sort of being sober as well yeah probably not a good combination that probably adds to his temper tantrums but still yeah so three hours later the olympic carrier returns no silence and adama raises the alert level to battle stations because he's suspicious and he starts the timer starts the time yeah and then enter the nemesis of the human race dr boltar who we know is really concerned that ships reappeared because there's a guy on there who knows he's a traitor or we're led to believe there's a guy on there who knows boltar's a traitor yeah number six in his head has told him that why would he want to talk to her? He must suspect that there's a traitor in the mist. So not necessarily that they know it is him, but as he used to work for the defence um, sort of department, fingers could point towards him. So Baltar starts to get worried. Yeah. And there's and and Six brings in this religious dimension to this whole situation because she's telling um, Baltar that the reason that, okay, so originally this doctor who he thinks is going to rat him out, um, you know, originally, so first of all, the Olympic carrier disappears. And so Six says, this is God taking care of you. Um, And then Baltar basically, you know, he, he completely disrespects this theory. And so when the Olympic carrier comes back, um, then Six tells him, well, you know, God giveth and God taketh away. And so here we have this religious dimension, this this little religious trial that she puts him through um, with this situation. Yeah, and it's very clever the way the shooting's done. 
um, that the timing of when they basically he says I repent I believe mm-hmm. and then sort of Roslyn says destroy the ship yep yeah that was really well done I do actually like the way that they I mean it's, it's brilliantly written this episode it's brilliantly acted but I do like the way that they choose between Six confronting Baltar and what's actually happening all tying nicely together mm-hmm. you know and you are, you are it, the way that you wrote it you are led to believe you know did she decide to blow up the Olympic carrier because it was the right thing to do or did she blow up the Olympic carrier because it was God's will mm-hmm. and it's, it's beautifully the way they both happen at the same time they do and also I mean you're not entirely convinced of either one I don't think as the viewer right after that I mean it could you could go either way I, I mean well, should, and, and should they have blown it up well for me I didn't think it was a sort of a godly thing. Um, so being an atheist anyway, that would probably be the way that I'd think. But the way I looked at it is she was considering her options. It was a big thing. Basically, she's about to give the order to basically kill what could be 1,300 plus people who may not actually be guilty of being Cylons. Um, now, of course... She is now the president, but of course, only a few days ago, she was just a teacher. So, to me, I think the long delay was actually her saying, what the hell do I do? Um, But of course, that was turned around with what Baltar is going through in his head. So, the thing is, is they weren't actually sitting next to each other anyway, um, because he was when you see the sort of the different shots he's sitting just a little bit further away sort of only just an earshot so it's whether or not he could properly hear what her decision would be anyway yeah so as we've said Baltar theorizes the silence have infiltrated the ship and President Rosalind has to make the harsh choice I do like to point out by the way that the school teacher reference she's got a whiteboard yes she does <laughs> Yes. That's awesome. And repeatedly, you know, we're going to see her changing that number on the whiteboard. Yeah. Which is always wrong. Yes. It's always wrong? It's always wrong. The number on the board is always wrong. If you take the counts that they actually mention within the episode, it's Uh wrong. The only one that I think is right is when they add one at the birth of the baby. Yeah. Really? Well, I've, you know, I've never, I have never double checked that. It would be great to get the actual numbers. Can can you maybe, Steve? Could you do this? Could you give us like a running tally as we go through this? Uh, yeah, I think I can do that. Okay, great. Um, uh, President Rosalind changes the number of people in the fleet from fifty thousand down to forty nine thousand nine hundred and ninety eight because of the deaths, uh, miscounts, and the missing people, which is at the start of the episode. Yeah. When the Olympic carrier with slightly more than 13,000 combined passengers and crew goes missing, she writes 47,973 as the remaining survivors, which is a difference of 2,025. Mm. Okay, but technically, you know, we don't know. Other people could have died that we hadn't heard about or... Yeah, but that's 700 people. Yeah, that's true. 
Yeah, that would be like another ship. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But also, if you listen to the counts of the number of ships as well throughout the series, it sort of goes from sort of like, I think it was like 40-something to begin with, and then it Mm. goes to 60-odd, and then it goes to another figure. So even the number of ships that's in the fleet (laughs) changes drastically as well. Which means those writers were just, they just weren't cross-checking with each other. They didn't have a Bible. Well, it's the CGI guys that was having off days and they couldn't be bothered to do all the ships. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know why. They did like to do their ships, as we found out in I the do, I would, The one ship that makes that you've seen every episode, apart from the Battlestar, is the big circle wheel. Mm-hmm. So I only assume that's the CGI artist's pride and joy. Yeah. Because it's in it's in nearly every episode you see that big wheel. Marjorie is kind of hard to miss. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, as we've said, Rosalind is faced with the start choice, uh, male or harder by her whiteboard. But when nuclear weapons are detected on board the Olympic carrier, the order is given to blast it out of the sky, or space, I should say. Sky. They're not in the sky. So, uh, this is clearly a heavy decision, and it's clearly and brilliantly etched on Apollo's face. And Starbuck does what Starbuck does best, and argues the toss out of it. Up until the point when Apollo pulls the trigger, and then she pulls hers. This funny thing was is that even though she was the one questioning the order, mm-hmm. he was the one that had the problem with um, sort of dealing with the aftermath of it. Right. I also thought it was very powerful that she did fire after he did because she really didn't have to. I mean, if you think about it, I think Apollo could have blown that ship up all by with just his one ship. And I I was struck by, as I was watching it today, the fact that she did open fire. And I wonder if that's some type of, you know, if she did it out of some sense of camaraderie that she wanted wanted him not to have to do it by himself, that she wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, I I mean, go on. Go ahead. Well, I took that as support for him um, because it's a bit like when, like, people were actually... um, sort of lined up to be shot um, for execution. You always had multiple shooters, so they wouldn't know who was the one who actually delivered the kill shot. Right. So I took that as her supporting him because who would know which shot was the one that ignited part of the engine that actually blew up the ship. Right. So I took that as her supporting him following the orders they were given, even though they Mm -hmm. both didn't like it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, um, <clears throat> Colin, to your point, or maybe it was, maybe it was you, Steve, but to the point that the irony that it's that it's Apollo who has such a more difficult time dealing with it, I think Starbuck is just she's very sure at this point of who she is in a sense, you know, she does what she does and she's not going to apologize to anybody for it, whereas Apollo is just this much more haunted character, conflicted, um, you know, he's mad at his dad for his brother's death and um you know he he's just very conflicted and i think 
there's a sense in which you can't consolable. You, you can't make this guy happy. And so I think he just has a much more difficult time dealing with what's going on around him. I think the thing with, with Starbuck as well is basically she's, she's his wingman. Mm-hmm. And your wingman backs up your main pilot. So right. she was just going to back him up. Uh, plus, which, you know, it's his friend. Uh, and we, we also know she had a relationship with his brother. Right. Um, so there's all that to play into it as well. But the other thing with the with Starbuck as well is there's a lot of bravado. Mm-hmm. And she may not be dealing with this, but she won't let anyone else know she's not dealing with it. True. Yeah, she's we as we find out later on, she's always had to be strong and independent. And basically, she doesn't like to let people in. No. But she 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 is a military-minded person. And once Apollo pulled that trigger, she would fall into military patterns and and pull her trigger. Yeah. So what I really thought was good was just the look on Rosalind's face after um, the ship has actually blown up that she's just uh, it's just an expression of so many things in a way Um, sort of I think she it looks to me that she sort of felt the guilt of having to do it um, sort of wondering was it the right question doubting herself and then I think she follows up the line with right what's the next crisis or something wasn't it yeah next she actually says in the episode next crisis yeah um because everyone's looking to her and I think it sort of speaks a lot to her and her character as well as of course what other leaders around the world obviously have to sort of deal with um sort of they have to deal with these sort of huge sort of decisions that can affect many lives and especially sort of as I said this series sort of did lots of callbacks to what was going on in the world at the time like the Iraq war and what decisions were made at those points in time and things like that and I think it sort of gave a very good perspective of what sort of people in her position sort of deal with as well with great power come with great responsibility. Mm-hmm. Managed to get him Spider-Man there. Yeah, we'll cover them all. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't had Transformers yet. No, we oh need my. to get Star Wars in before we finish and all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you fitted that in with the dark side of the There you go. Right. So, yeah, we, we've, we've done that one. Just need yes. Transformers then. <laughs> well, I suppose we can link in the dark side to the dark side movie. There you go. Sorted. <laughs> <laughs> that just leads to the Avengers then. But yeah. Um the other thing that I I liked is the fact that Rosalind, as we know, has got cancer. Yeah. So she's facing her own mortality while deciding the mortality of others. And I think that also weighs on her. Oh, and, and absolutely it would, right? Because I think you take a lot more stock in you know how am I living and and what am I leaving behind when you're facing your mortality so for her to be at this point in her life and having to make decisions this difficult um, you know would be a huge burden to carry yeah Um, 
and she just I mean she was never trying for this job she was never expected to do this job uh, if you think back to the miniseries she was she was basically hanging on to her political career by her fingernails anyway yeah uh, and now all of a sudden she's got all this responsibility that she was that's basically been thrust upon her uh, and she hasn't got but the, the massive amount of advisors and PR consultants and, and so on and so forth. She's got an, an aide. Right, but I think what makes it work is the fact that this group of humanity isn't being led just by Roslyn, that it's, it's a team effort, really, between Roslyn and Adama. And the, the power... Um, there's a little bit of a power struggle between the two of them that goes back and forth. There are times where Adama is definitely in charge. And there are times where Rosalind tries to, to take that back from him. But I think they lean on each other. And even in this episode, you see that um, where Rosalind is exhausted and she calls Adama up on the phone. And, and you can just hear in her voice that she's just at the end of her rope um, as she's talking to him. And she asks him, you know, what, what happens next? And, um, and there's this long pause in the conversation and she says, are you still there? And, and you can just hear there's a, a pleading tone in her voice mm. that she's really, she's really depending on him in that moment. Yeah. And especially as he sort of comes back with that and basically says, um, sort of basically just says all military decisions, um, rest with him. And she's like, oh yes, of course. Um, but I think that was him trying to like this is side this is my problem yeah so don't worry about it yeah so i think there's a two parts to the comment is what i'd thought is one which was him stating look the buck ends with me with regards to what happens with this ship um and secondly you're not making the decision because sort of he wanted to make sure that she wasn't going to try and do any power play and to sort of basically state it there and then as they were sort of manoeuvring. Because at that point, the Battle Star was actually moving to protect all the other ships as they sort of went and fired up their FTL drives um, to go to the next location. It's basically saying, look, it's down to me. Mm -hmm. um, so, so whether you agree with it or not, um, plus, as was said, also saying you don't have to worry about this this is on me right and then i think it's shortly after that conversation also we st we have the scene between adama and apollo when apollo comes back and um just i, I think another point about adama's leadership and his relationship with him adama says to apollo it i gave the order to destroy the ship and that's my responsibility I loved Apollo's response to him. He said, I pulled the trigger and that's, and that's mine. And, um, I think that there's, there was a beautiful bit of social commentary in that, you know, so often we've heard, I was just following orders and I love the fact that Apollo didn't, he yeah, didn't, he, he didn't fall back on that. He said, no, I pulled the trigger and I have to live with that is what he was saying that it, that it wasn't just, I was just following your orders and whatever you said and therefore I'm not going to feel guilty about it it was no I have a personal stake in this I have a responsibility in what happened as well and I really liked that yeah yeah. 
And I do like the fact that what the way at the very end they, they try and finish on a positive mm-hmm. with the baby. Right. I thought, I thought that was a nice um, attempt, shall we say, to kind of lift the somber somberness. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. a very human. It's a very human ending, I, I think, because yeah. this is this is reality, right? That so we've mentioned nine eleven. You know, tragedies happen. They do, but life goes on. Um, yeah. Babies are born, and and we continue. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Is that I think that final moment where it's just like increase the count by one is is the end thing was life goes on no matter how bad things get. Yeah, and we can't forget that we know at the end of the episode it was the right decision. Yeah. Because right. the Cylons aren't chasing them. But then we knew that halfway through when the Cylons never turned up after the Olympic carrier failed to show. So, in a way... It's yeah, like, we, we knew that. I'm on about Rosalind didn't know that. Well, the thing is, in a way they did... They had had sort of nearly four hours, no Cylons. The Olympic carrier turns up, and sure enough, before they actually destroy it, it's, they've got the the um, Cylons on top of them with the base stars. Which I have to say, I really like the base stars. Yes. So much better than the old ones. They do, and I'm, 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 I'm going to bring another science fiction thing in there. I'm currently re-watching Babylon 5 and the base stars remind me of the shadows. You know, I am just actually starting to watch that for the first time this weekend. I've only watched a handful of them. Yeah, I think I know um, which ones you're talking about. Yeah, because the the shadow ships look like spiders. Yeah, but um, what I do like about... I really enjoy by the way, Melissa. It's really good. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. What I do like about this series, though, talking about the old sort of 70s style ones, is there is an episode later on where you actually see the old ones, the original ones, because in the miniseries you see the bloke at that outstation basically seeing the um, plans of what the old Cylons used to look like before we see the new ones. Um, So I do like the amount of callbacks this series does to the old 70s one, not only with um, some of the casting that we see in, I think it's the next one, is it? Is it Water? That, I mean, um, you mean Apollo Mark One? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, but also in the miniseries, you've got like the original theme music when it comes to the flyover. Um, and of course, the only thing they really kept the same was the, um, the fighter um, ships. Um, well, actually, the Mark II fighters is the is the Viper from. Yeah. Well, yeah. The only the only difference is is um, in the original series they fired lasers. Yeah, and they had this huge flame that came out with the afterburner. Yeah, yeah, when the afterburner. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was the only thing from the original series that properly made it into the new one. Everything else was modified slightly, even the battle star. But um, there is there is a bit of trivia about that because, um, in the original incarnation of Battlestar Galactica the Colonial Vipers fired uh, orange lasers if you look at the bullets in this one they're orange orange, yeah so that's another homage that I've done 
and the, and the, uh, the Cylon bullets are blue. Yep. So that's just so I... you know whose bullets are coming towards you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, isn't it nice that the enemy does change the color? That way, you know, it's, it's, so you it's, know. it's I always I, I always thought that in Star Wars as well. You know, it's it's so thoughtful <laughs> of them, really, because, you know, if they were really, really bad guys, you think they'd make them the same color. So you get confused. But no, they don't. No, it's mm -hmm. just it's just That's so you know, is. when you're about to die, so you know who's killed you. Right. <laughs> yeah, Cause it's just, you know, <laughs> so. so I love this episode. It was a great episode. It well, was. the only thing we haven't covered yet, oh. so, though we briefly spoke about it, was um, the Cylons um, actually on the planet. Oh, on Caprica. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we haven't um, talked about that part much yeah, yet. Yeah, that was like the B-plot, weren't it? Right. Yeah, because you'd got um, the other Sharon Cause... that sort of turns up. Right, and my um, favourite character's down there on the planet. Hilo. Hilo. He's my favourite. So, yeah, he... He's the only truly good guy in the whole show. Oh, not because he's a hunk. No, no, because he's... Because <laughs> <laughs> he has this wonderful sense of morality and purpose, and he's always making the right choice. I just, I, I admire him so much. He's, he's my very, favorite character. Very, he's a very um, giving person as well. He'll, he will, yes. He will happily lay down his life for someone else. Right. I mean, he... He really, I think he's a true hero on the show. And there aren't a lot of them. No, there's an awful lot of anti-heroes. Mm -hmm. um, but there's very few heroes in this show. True heroes. But I, I think he makes that list. Yeah, of, yeah, him and Adama mm. are definitely heroes. And Rosalind is a heroine. For sure. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of anti-heroes in this. But, bit of trivia, um, this has won a Hugo Award for Dramatic Presentation. Uh, the cast did extensive consultations into sleep deprivation, um, so they didn't go around just yawning and saying, I'm tired. You know, they actually acted, so you did, they didn't have to yawn and say, I'm tired, which, which would have been very cliched. So, and as Steve says, the number 33 has no meaning at all. No. It's just a random number. Yeah, lots of people have been asking and asking at different conventions and blogs and everything else. And so Ronald D. Moore has always said, nope, it was just a number I made up. <laughs> yeah, it's actually on Ronald D. Moore's blog. Yes. So if you go to Ronald D. Moore's blog, it's actually on there. The number has absolutely no meaning. He just liked the sound of 33. That's all there is to it. There's no cosmic meaning behind it or nothing like that. He just liked 33 just sounded right. I think there's more meaning in the number 47 that keeps appearing than there is the number 33. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that's the, the, the cosmological constant or something. So. I think he should have made up a meaning. What, just, just so we... <laughs> yes, just so we... We just have an answer. Up. There should be a meaning, darn it. It shouldn't just be a meaningless number. Come on. Well, it's a panadrome number. That's something. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Ronald Moore was thinking of that. No, I don't think so either. No. But yeah, but he means absolutely nothing. He just likes the sound of it. Okay. So, um, there's a deleted scene 
uh, which isn't under DVD because I've looked. Uh, and basically, when when he's getting handed the reports about the fuel shortages and breakdowns and that from exhaustion, Edward James ad-libbed and 10 suicides when reading the list. And the production team liked it and decided to keep it. The studio said no. Well, one of the things they had to do is to cut 10 minutes off um, this episode because when they originally um, had it all produced, it was 10 minutes overrun. So they worked very hard to cut it back by 10 minutes while trying to keep the human aspect of it, um, which they desperately wanted to keep. And I think they did that well. But the ten, the, although the 10 series odds was an avidly but not a, not a script, people sleep deprived would do that. Especially mm-hmm. under extreme stress. You know, 50,000 people who haven't slept for five days, someone somewhere's going to crack. Mm-hmm. You know, so at least one person you would expect that out of 50,000 to think, that's it, I can't take any more. Well, that's okay, where the other but... 700 went. Oh, is that where it was? <laughs> but a question, yeah, yeah, exactly. But a question I had was I can understand why the pilots can't sleep, and I can understand why the people who are actually driving the ships can't sleep but i would think that the vast majority of the population i mean they don't need to wake up every 33 minutes i don't think it's that melissa i think what it is is they're under attack every 33 minutes well right but still you're you're not gonna gonna sleep if someone's shooting you no but i can see melissa's point um after a certain amount of time most of the civilians will end up getting sleep because they can't stay awake regardless of what's happening. It's like people in war zones. They may be worried for their life, but they will eventually just fall asleep. Um, It's a bit like sort of babies. They'll sleep through anything. They'll get used to it. So will teenagers. And... and, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And people are like that. They will eventually get used to sort of what is going on they've had a few days of it and sort of as melissa said unlike the pilots who are having to sort of keep continuously going out every half an hour or the engineers who are fixing the ftl drives and things like that right the majority of the civilians i mean because eventually you're just feeling that stress right because eventually you're just going to say look i don't care if i wake up dead i'm going to sleep yeah you know especially or you just fall the one thing that got me is this i can't remember the name of the ship so you know feel free to write in and chastise me but basically, the Arboretum ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that ship where you're surrounded by vegetation and, and so on and so forth, you probably would just loll off anyway in, in, in the 30-minute gaps. Oh, yeah. And, and we can talk about this later too, but that just reminds me. I want to talk about this at some point. Like how incredibly unfair it is, depending on what ship you ended up on. Like, for example, if you just happened to be on that ship, you know, where the hotel and the golf course was, wouldn't you much rather be stuck on that ship for months and months than... Yeah, that's another podcast, Melissa. Okay, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) It's it's on the list. Okay, all right. (laughs) Uh, So, anyway, uh, I think we've just about covered this one. So, I liked it. I thought it was a brilliant episode. Are are we going to be rating these, or...? You can write if you want. Okay. Sure. Should I just make up a system? Yeah. Let's just... Yeah, go on then. You make one up. Make one up. Okay. Let's see here. Five gods. (laughs) One to five. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, let's is, see. Is, is, it, is it great gods is good and Christian gods is good and, and uh, Roman gods is bad? Could you? <laughs> <laughs> now I was just thinking instead of stars is to do gods because. Okay, I'm hell. gonna rate this on a. Uh, we're gonna rate this on a scale of. Uh, how many constellations are there? Twelve. Or no, yeah, no. How many tribes are? There's twelve. There's twelve about? signs. There's twelve signs of the zodiac in there. And there okay. are twelve colonies. Twelve colonies. All right. So we're gonna rate this on a scale of one to twelve. Ooh. Because I just right. made that up. That works. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So on a scale of one to twelve, I'm going to give thirty-three. I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a ten because I, I really think it's a, a great jump-off point for the series. Um, lots of great character development, and. It just really sets the pace and the tone for the series. They did a great job, nice writing, um, good tension, way to bring in all the elements that we're going to see fleshed out. So, 10 out of 12 constellations. What colony would you have been on, Lisa? I would have been on Caprica. Oh, you'd be dead. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Um, I would say 11 out of 12. I think it is very well written very well acted um there are some problems with sort of consistency with it but i think this is probably one of the best episodes that there was so what would your colony be um i'll probably say caprica as well because they've got all the sort of technology oh, and gadgets your colony is what you were born under oh i thought you meant just what relates to sort of no no Ah, right. Um, well, I'm a Leo, so... I don't think they mention that one, do they? Oh, they... well, I have to I have to change my answer then, because then technically I suppose I would be a Tauran. A Tauran? Right, oh, yeah. Farmer. Huh. Well, I... Out of, choice, I you would both, out of choice, you would both be on Caprica. Yeah, I, I would have... So I would have been born on Tauran and then moved to Caprica, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and then get nuked. Well, everybody got nuked. It didn't Everyone matter which nuked, colony. Yeah. yeah. Sure. I would uh, I would have been born on Aries and then moved to Colonial One. Mm. <laughs> oh, would have been smart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Colin, what would you rate this out of uh, on a scale of one to twelve? I would I'd give it a ten. Okay. I'd give it a ten. Um, I, I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, very much a character-driven episode with just a, a smidgen of, of action, but he didn't need the action because the acting in it is just so brilliant. Um, and I, can't, I mean, I know you're not supposed to like him, but I think Baltar is brilliant. Yeah, well, it's just his whole sort of persona, his attitude to sort of self-preservation, sort of the fact that he his intelligence, the way he can sort of do all this sort of multitasking and the way that also that they have the camera going between his different conversations of what's going on in his head to what's going on um, sort of in real life. And um, it just makes him sort of one of the sort of best characters this sort of series has. <laughs> oh, I completely agree. Yeah, he's supposed to be the guy that you love to despise until eventually you feel sympathy for him. Definitely. He's a Unlike with the original Bolter, that 
you just hated and right. never liked. Right, he was just a mustache. I think the original Baltar, though, was very one-dimensional. Yes, very much so. But then that's just a sign of the times, really. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, Melissa, where can people find you on the internet? All right, you can email me at deltaquadrantpodcast at gmail.com. Um, just put Melissa in the subject line. Right, absolutely. And I, I thought I may be the only one who actually checks that email account, so That's cool. you're probably good either way. <laughs> <laughs> and what dice does Delta come out on, Melissa? The Delta Quadrant. We uh, come out every Thursday for your enjoyment. We're out. we're about we're about getting towards the end of. Uh, are we in season five? I think yeah. we're in season five. But it's okay because by the time you finish that, you'll have finished watching Babylon Five, and then we can do a Babylon Five podcast. There you go. That would so, be a lot of fun. Sorted. Mm-hmm. So and keep it brave, Steve. People can find me on. <laughs> Twitter at Midnight People can Shadows. Follow me on the seven. following twenty-two podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Midnight Shadow is spelt M-I-D-N-I-T-E. Um, then Shadow and the number seven. Um, Podcast-wise, best to follow me for Hollow Sweet Media's um, Tribbles and Ecstasy podcast, which goes live every Friday evening, which is a Star Trek podcast. Live where? Um, Hollow Sweet Media. Um, and you can also get me at the end of the month on the gntshow.com where I do the Star Trek Book Club, the Book of the Celestial Temple. There you go, folks. And as we've said, folks, this podcast is hosted by Hollow Sweet Media. It's also available on iTunes. Um, and I dare say that Sander will be loading up to various forums. So if you go onto Hollow Sweet Media, you can find links to... Um, Tribbles and Ecstasy and all the other podcasts that Hollow Sweet Media do. Um, some of which are in development stage, but there's more podcasts coming. So over this over this year, Hollow Sweet Media will be adding a range of podcasts covering all manner of science fiction endeavors. Uh, and if you want to find me, you can find me on social media at CLLMH01. Or if you go to trek.fm you can find me on Melodic Treks, which is an exploration of the music of Star Trek. So, us three will be getting back together in a few weeks' time, so you'll Yay. be hearing us from them. Um, and I think the next one will be Mike and Drew, or possibly Mike, or possibly Max and Melissa. There's all sorts going on, folks. There's about ten people involved in this podcast. So... <laughs> <laughs> So, but the good thing is you won't be hearing the same people week in, week out. So it'll give you a lot of diversification. It'll give you a lot of different viewpoints. And we are covering a range of subjects. So hopefully we'll keep it fresh, keep it busy, and keep you listening. Right. Just like, just like Battlestar Galactica, there are no minor characters here. No, no. Wait so say we all. So yeah. say we all. <laughs> End of line. <laughs>